G'day and welcome to the Dolby Anglican Podcast. My name is David and I'm one of the ministers at Dolby Anglican Parish. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit anglicandolby.org.au. This week's sermon is entitled A Journey of Promise. It's a Palm Sunday sermon focusing on Mark chapter 11 verses 1 to 11. And it summarizes our Promise Maker, Promise Keeper series, looking back at all God's promises and how they are kept in Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. The Lord be with you. And also with you. The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Mark, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Glory Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. It's titled, The Triumphal Entrance. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Tell them, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at the doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed! is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today is Palm Sunday, and today we're going to see how in Palm Sunday, Jesus brings together God's promises, but how there's a very interesting twist at the end. So please pray for me as I pray for you as we open up this passage of Scripture. Loving Lord God, we thank you that indeed you are our Hosanna, you are our Saviour. And as we think about who you are and all that you've done and look into this incredible event in history, help us to see that you are our promise maker and our promise keeper. In Jesus' name, amen. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Who liked uh, Ken's, Ken's big shout during the reading? That was really impressive, Ken. Um, 
And that's exactly how the people would have shouted it. They would have shouted it with gusto, with passion. These are the words pilgrims would have sang uh, from childhood upwards as they climbed up towards Jerusalem, the city of peace. For generations, the people of Israel had shouted these words to one another as they traveled up the dusty uphill tracks towards their capital city and ultimately to the altar of their God in the temple. Pilgrims would sing, wave palm branches, chant and pray as they approached the city in big convoys, whole families with donkeys and bulls and and all singing and making a whole bunch of noise. They sang songs of liberation, songs of freedom, songs of forgiveness, songs of hope. And these songs would echo through the valleys around Jerusalem as the people reminded one another of God's promises. Many pilgrims 2,000 years ago, though, were losing hope. Year after year, they travel to their city of peace and find it less and less peaceful. They'd heard the stories of their forefather Abraham, who was promised land, family, and blessings. But their land had been taken, and their family was more fragmented than ever. They'd heard about Moses, the great liberator, and how Moses had given the people ten commandments, ten ways to live free. But they had a king called Herod who'd broken all ten commandments. And he was leading the people astray. They'd read about the people who took the land and built a gleaming kingdom. But now the kingdom was occupied by the Romans. Roman soldiers who abused them, took advantage of them and taxed them into the ground. They'd heard about the prophet Jeremiah who'd cleansed the temple and brought people back to God. And promised that one day God would give people new hearts so they would actually obey him. But no one was really obeying God at the time. And for 400 years, the Lord had been silent. God's promises seemed empty and unfulfilled. But while many had given up on God ever fulfilling his promises, others had studied the scriptures and begun to pin their hopes on a mysterious figure. A good saviour king, a servant who would renew God's promises. They called him the Messiah, the saviour. Someone from the line of King David who would free the nation, bring God's family back together, and bring God's blessings back into the midst of his people. This undying hope was triggered many times. Some thought a man named Judas Maccabeus um, was that Messiah. Judas was a revolutionary figure. Um, He was a Jewish man. He led this revival movement. They called him the Hammer because he was just an intense warrior. And he just bludgeoned people. Um, And he, he started this revolution. He kicked out the ruling Greek army. And he purified the temple in 164 B.C., But his kingdom eventually ran out of steam and the Romans took over and he surrendered. Another 
pretended to the throne was a man named Jesus Barabbas. He led a violent insurrection and was popular amongst many people in the day. But he'd been locked up by the Romans and was now languishing in prison. Many had pretended to walk the path of the Messiah and activated the hopes of the people that perhaps this was the promise keeper. Jesus of Nazareth was different, though. He never talked of war. And whenever crowds swelled around him, he would withdraw. And Jesus kept on talking about dying rather than establishing an everlasting kingdom. So people didn't know what to make of him. But if you've been following our Promise Maker, Promise Keeper series, you'll know that the promises of God were powerful enough for people to keep hoping that one day these promises might be fulfilled. Jesus lived out a ministry of promise and ticked so many boxes of who the Messiah should be that even his death talk and focus on preaching and prayer on God rather than political things couldn't stop people thinking that maybe Jesus was their king. So let's look back on the promises we've explored over the last six weeks of Lent and see why the pilgrims on Palm Sunday had a right to be so excited. We see that Jesus is a promise fulfiller. He's a rainbow ruler, a covenant marker, a law keeper, a God follower, and a new heart maker. So first, a rainbow ruler. The first promise we looked at in this series were the promise given to Noah. In Noah's day, the world had become so wicked that God flooded the earth. This was a terrible judgment, but God in his mercy brought Noah and his family through the floodwaters and then set a rainbow in the sky as a reminder that he would never again judge the earth that way. Jesus comes on the scene and clearly has God's power over the elephants. Elements. (laughs) Over the elements. In uh, Mark 4, Jesus calms the storm. In Mark 6, he walks on water. And in Mark 9, a glory cloud appears at his transfiguration. Jesus is clearly someone special, someone powerful and in tune with God. At the same time, Jesus, like Noah, has a message of judgment. He calls people to repentance. He's disappointed by their lack of faith. And he preaches against King Herod and the ruling elite who had no interest in God. This would have excited many and reminded people of God's promises. Was Jesus going to be the agent of God's wrath, destroying the wicked people and leaving only the good behind? Was, going to, was God going to use Jesus like a rainbow in the sky to remind people of God's justice and of his mercy? Jesus has shown his power of the elements. And so he is the rainbow ruler. The next thing we looked at was the covenant marker. And if Jesus' power of the elements wasn't exciting enough, Jesus 
does things that act like hyperlinks, directing people back to God's promises. Hyperlinks are that blue text that you tick on um, when, you, when you've got an email or um, a website and it directs you to another part. And that's what Jesus, fulfilling all these promises, did. Jesus was a son of Abraham and a descendant of King David on his mum and on his dad's side. God had promised Abraham that through his family line, God would bring his people a land, a family, and blessings. Jesus, the humble carpenter's son, came from surprisingly good stock. And while many wrote him off, he began talking about a kingdom. And he began building a family of disciples. Jesus' talk of the kingdom of God must have sent shockwaves through the community. They lived in the Roman Empire, but they wanted a kingdom again. They wanted to restore God's people. Ten of the twelve tribes of Israel had been lost. And their hope was that perhaps this guy, perhaps this one, might restore them. But here comes Jesus, calling himself the Son of Man, a title for the Messiah. And others began calling him the Son of David. Do you see how electric that would have been? And as Jesus follows the path of the pilgrims towards Jerusalem, he reaches the Mount of Olives and looks out over Jerusalem, and then he does something charged with meaning. If you have a Bible, I encourage you to to flick to um, Mark 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mountain of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt there, which no one has ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly. Jesus sends two of his followers up ahead to go and get a young donkey. It almost sounds like he's telling them to steal it. But Jesus tells his disciples to say, if they're hassled, the Lord needs it. The title Lord in Greek, Kyrios, is laden with meaning. Jesus is saying the boss needs it. The owner of the donkey, the one to whom The kingdom belongs, needs it. It would be arrogant if it weren't true. But here Jesus is showing us that he's the heir of God's promises to Abraham. He is the covenant marker and he is the covenant keeper. Now we haven't yet answered the question about whether Jesus is stealing this donkey. And if he's not the law keeper, then he's not the Messiah. If he's running around Israel stealing donkeys, then he's obviously not the one we've been waiting for. But in verse 4, we read that the disciples went and found a colt outside in the street, tied in a doorway. Convenient, eh? As they untied it, some people standing there asked, obviously, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered, as Jesus had told them to. And the people let them go. Now, we don't know the nuts and bolts of how this deal worked. Did Jesus buy the donkey at one point in his life and tell the sellers to keep it until they heard the code word? 
um, had the owner of the donkey been praying to God that God would use this donkey for his purposes? We don't know. But what we do know is that this event was prophesied hundreds of years before it took place. 500 years before Jesus was born, God said to the prophet Zechariah, tell this message to my people. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years after Zechariah was given that promise, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a young colt that had never been ridden before. Jesus doesn't force this event. It just happens as God said it would. And when people catch the disciples taking the colt, they share the words and they're sent on their way. Jesus lives a perfect life of obedience to God's law and to God's word, fulfilling all the prophecies about him to a T, even the ones he had no control over. This is God's law-keeping saviour who rides up to God's altar on a donkey, the donkey that was destined for him. And as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, a crowd gathers. Mark 11 tells us this. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The people have heard of the man from Galilee who heals the sick, feeds the hungry and gives sight to the blind. And so they spread their cloaks out before the donkey, a sign of humility. They cut down palm branches and lay them out, not as a red carpet, but as a green carpet for this miracle man. This could also be a prophetic statement. Herod, um, King Herod on his coins had inscribed palm branches. That was their symbol. And now Jesus and his donkey are stepping all over Herod's symbol of power and might. There's a lot of story, uh, theories as to why the people um, were shouting at Jesus. Pilgrims would sing those songs, as we said at the beginning of the sermon. Uh, They would rejoice and encourage other pilgrims on their journey. Some scholars think the crowds were just shouting at each other. Or maybe they saw Jesus and they were like, oh, you're a special pilgrim. Let's sing this song together. There's no particular bent. But some think that the crowds hoped Jesus was the political Messiah they were hoping for. They probably, they might have hoped uh, that Jesus was marching up to Jerusalem with his faithful army to go and boot out the Romans and their puppet king Herod and restore the kingdom to their forefather David. Whatever the reasoning, Jesus, for once in his life, accepts the praise and hype. You'll notice that Jesus never does a miracle for himself. He never feeds himself. He never heals himself. He never does any miracle that glorifies himself. Instead, he always points to God. But here he accepts the hype. And as he approaches Jerusalem, he knows that he's coming to die. 
So far in Mark, Jesus has prophesied his death in Jerusalem three times. He knows he has days to live and he's riding his donkey towards his crucifixion. But he never wavers. Jesus will follow God wherever God leads. Why? Because Jesus is the new heart maker. He has the spirit of God upon him. And he has unwavering faith. You might be asking, well, why doesn't Jesus just take a band of followers up to the hills and build a hippie colony where they can grow tomatoes and talk about love? If, if Jesus was just a great teacher, why is he going to Jerusalem? He could just build a community and, and gather this following. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to build a fan base. He didn't come to build a kingdom. He didn't even come to build an empire. He wants to be king of the people's hearts. And so it's strange that as he travels through the city gates, he doesn't travel to the heart of military power. Outside the, the gates of Jerusalem was the Antonia Fortress, where the Romans um, held their power. And, and so perhaps people thought, oh, Jesus is going to the fortress to go and fight the Romans. He doesn't go there. And he doesn't go to Herod's beautiful, gleaming palace to go and confront the puppet king and say, I'm the true king of Israel. It's me. Instead, Jesus goes to the temple. Verse 11 says this, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is madness. Jesus has fulfilled God's promises. He goes to the center of the faith of his people as their king. And who is waiting for him? No one. There is no welcome party. No one waving palm fronds now. No one even ready to fight him for one final showdown. If you were reading Mark for the first time, you would have thought, here it is, this is the beef, this is, this is the final act. This is where Jesus takes on the boss and he either wins and loses. He's going to the temple. He's going to the altar. Jesus travels to the religious heart of the city to be God's promised king who will write the law on the people's hearts. He's the one they've all been waiting for, and no one's waiting for him. It's the biggest anticlimax. Jesus is left at the altar, literally. He arrives in the temple courts. It's after hours, but he's riding on a donkey, just like the prophecy said he would. And who's waiting for him? No one. Not the common people, not the religious people, not even the chief of priests. The crowds are gone. And Jesus makes his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And no one is there to greet him. Jesus looks around as if waiting for something. 
as if sizing up the situation, and then he goes home. Now, if you'd been reading all God's promises in the Old Testament, you'd have a right to be thoroughly let down. This is the high point in the story. This is the climax. The hero has reached the highest room in the tallest tower, but nothing. Everyone goes home, and God's promises seem unfulfilled. And this is exactly Mark's point. It's the twist in the story. Mark is saying, this isn't Jesus' crowning moment. Jesus won't be crowned by loving fans, flanked by jubilant priests, welcoming their Messiah. He will be enthroned on a cross. His crown will be made of thorns. Jesus hasn't been left at the altar because his altar isn't in the temple where the hypocrites pretend to worship God. Jesus' altar will be outside the city city gates by a rubbish dump, surrounded by the people who hate him and those who have lost hope. These are the people he's come for. These are the ones he's come to save. And this is not the end. And so, friends, it's important to remember that Palm Sunday is the beginning of the end, but it's not the end. The question Mark is asking of us is, will we follow Jesus to Bethany? Will we spend Passover week with Jesus? Or will we flake away like the crowds? Are we ready to follow Jesus to the cross? Or will we leave him at the gates or at the altar. Today I want to encourage you to immerse yourself in Holy Week. All of it. Wherever you find yourself, make time to follow Jesus to the cross and to the empty tomb. It's a harrowing journey through the betrayal of Maundy Thursday, through the sorrow of Good Friday. But friends, it leads us the empty tomb. It leads us to sunrise on Easter morning and to the undying hope of God's promises kept. So friends, let's follow our promise-making and promise-keeping King through Easter and let's see all his promises kept in his dying and in his rising. Amen.